Hey, good morning, early risers. Good job, everybody. That was kind of hard, wasn't it? Not going to lie. <laughs> you did it, though. Super proud of you. So glad to see so many of your faces. Um, I've been thinking uh, about this question a lot these last few weeks. What does it mean to have faith? As a follower of Jesus, what does it mean to have faith? I want you to hold on to this question. Let it kind of roll around in your mind as I teach, and we're going to come back to it. I'm excited this morning to continue, as Jeff said, our six-week teaching series where we're exploring the book of Ephesians, and my prayer is that this whole series takes a weight off your shoulders. As my friend Kurt taught last week, Paul is trying to get across to the early church at Ephesus, and, and we believe through the Spirit, through all, to all churches everywhere, that God has done all the heavy lifting on our behalf, and that he simply invites us to join him now in what he's doing. So... I, I hope you were here last week to hear Kurt. If not, you can watch him online. He told us, and I'm just going to remind us this morning, that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote Ephesians. Paul was a highly educated, highly religious Jewish leader, and he was a persecutor of early Christians. In fact, he probably killed many of them. And Paul became a Christian after a dramatic encounter with the risen Jesus. He was the spiritual leader of the early church, and he was beside himself to try to tell people how Jesus, the Messiah, the promised Savior, the crucified and risen one, had changed everything. And he wrote this particular letter probably while he was under house arrest, probably while he was handcuffed to a Roman soldier. Let's just say Paul made a lot of enemies in the Roman government because he declared Jesus, not the emperor of Rome, king of kings. Ephesians is a letter that was written to real people in a real fledgling church in a real city in ancient Greece called Ephesus. And it is as much for us today, I believe, as it was for the people in the early church back then. This is God's wisdom for the church. And so this morning, we're going to walk through Ephesians chapter 2, the first 15 verses. So if you're at home and you want to get out your Bibles, that would be awesome. Uh, here in the room, you'll see things up on the screen. Um, you can pull your Bibles out as well, too, if you'd like. Ephesians chapter 2, we're, we're going to start with verse 1. This is what Paul writes. He says, as for you, right, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. That's a lot. But what I want you to pay attention to for just a moment in this particular passage are the pronouns. 
The first section that's no longer on the screen talks about you. Paul's writing to you. Then he says those. And then he says all of us. And then he says we. And what Paul is doing is diagnosing humanity before and without Christ. We were, Paul says, spiritually dead. Rebels, agitators, at war with God, with others, with ourselves. We were, as St. Augustine defined sin, curved in on ourselves. And man, oh man, this is real, isn't it? Look at our world. How do we humans keep starting wars? Have we learned nothing? Or most honest, I mean, let's just be honest. Just look at your own heart. Aren't you amazed at the darkness that can still emerge from the basement of your own soul seemingly out of nowhere? Like, say you're just driving along. Say in Cedar Falls, maybe near the mall, okay? And you enter a roundabout smoothly as you are supposed to. Where apparently in said roundabout, one driver has never been before. And you're maybe singing a worship song or some old Doobie Brothers thing, the wind in your hair, you're feeling good. How do you go from enjoying the sunshine to erupting in anger and some kind of Italian, you know, fist thing at maybe, you know, a woman the age of your mother? (laughs) How does this happen? Or, or your ego just shows up. My friend Carla walked into my office the other day and said, why do we always have to have an enemy? Why do we always have to have somebody to rail against? Or just sheer selfishness. My husband Chuck and I got in an argument a couple weeks ago about the difference between three degrees on the thermostat. <laughs> Now, he'll tell you right now this morning, if you ask him, it was five degrees, but it was three. (laughs) 35 years of marriage, three degrees on the thermostat, we're at war. There is a crookedness in me, and there is a crookedness in you, and there is a crookedness in the human race, and we have no fix. That's Paul's diagnosis. But the next word in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 is, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. made us alive. Now, why did God make people who were spiritually dead and rightfully so alive with Christ? Why did God do that? Was it because of how intrinsically awesome people are? Let me think for one second. No. (laughs) Was it because a certain group of people followed the Ten Commandments perfectly? 
Was it because a certain group of people did all the right religious things or maybe ate their veggies, drove the speed limit, volunteered at the food bank, or gave up Netflix for Lent? Was that why God made dead people alive with Christ? No. <laughs> Bingo. I did not plant her or him in the audience. <laughs> Paul is clear. God did this for one reason and one reason alone. It's right in the text because of his great love for us and because God is rich in mercy. God has made us alive with Christ for no reason but love. I went to two funerals in one week a couple weeks ago. One for a man about my age, where I heard one of his male friends stand up here on this stage and tearfully say, I thought we had more time. I thought we had more time. And the other for a little boy, gone way too early, way too fast. And I thought, man, life is precarious. Life is precious. Life is fleeting. In Christ alone, eternal life is secure because of his great love for us, period. So we were dead and we have been made alive with Christ because of love. And Paul's not done. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show, pretend this is also in yellow because I forgot to bold that, that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Lori, can you go back to the slide just before this? Great. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we looked at the pronouns before, but now, you guys, I want you to look at these verbs. Raised, seated, show, and expressed. Those who follow Jesus are already safe with him in eternity, Paul says. Spiritually, we have taken our seats in the eternal kingdom of God next to Jesus. How safe would you feel in this world if you really believed that you were already, spiritually speaking, seated next to Jesus? Like kind of a reserved seat, Ponder that this week when you feel scared or worried. I got a seat next to Jesus. And why? Why are we seated there? Go back one, Lori. So that God can show in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace. 
God wants to show off for eternity the incomparable, meaning there's nothing that can compare to it, incomparable riches of his grace. God wants to show off his kindness forever by pointing to a person like me seated next to Jesus and say, look at my grace, look at my kindness, look at that thermostat hogging, roundabout yelling, enemy finding, occasionally swearing Alice Shirey. She's sitting by my boy. My grace, my kindness saved even her. And God says, look at Bob Brown. Look at Lori Sewell. Look at Roger Gast. Look at Jewel Cooper. Look at all of Route 55. Even they are saved by the incomparable riches of my grace. God seats us next to Christ so that he can show off his new humanity, this people saved by his grace. Paul's still not done. He's gonna drive this point home. And he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do. I love the play here that Paul is doing on the word work. I hope that you saw it. You have been saved, he says, not by your own hard work, but by faith. You are God's work. You are God's handiwork created to do good works. Yes, but even those are prepared for you by God. Right? Paul's saying to us, gift upon gift upon gift upon gift, all God's. This is all God's doing. Do you see why this was called and is still called good news and not religion? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Okay. <laughs> now, some of us, when we read this part about how we have been saved by grace through faith, we think, okay, okay, my job is to have faith. And what that means is I can never doubt. I can never be mad at God. I can never question God. It means I can't ask good, hard questions of the Bible or that I always have to love coming to church and singing loud and I must be at all the Bible studies and sign up for everything that's offered always. That's my part. I have to try harder. So many of us, if we're honest, hold this equation in our head, faith equals trying harder. To that equation, I believe Jesus issues an unequivocal no, as does Paul. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Faith does not equal trying harder. 
There's a professor of theology whose writing I love. His name is hard to pronounce, so I won't do it. But he was a prisoner of war during the upheaval in former Yugoslavia. And now he studies God and faith uh, for his life's work. He defines faith this way. He says, faith is not something we give to God. Like, look how good my faith is, God. Will you please reward me? In that case, faith would be a work. But exactly the opposite is true. To have faith in God is to be without works before God. Faith looks like empty hands held open for God to fill. God did everything for us. All the heavy lifting. And all he requires is that we hold up our empty hands and believe that he will fill them with his gifts. Even on my darkest days, I can do this. Even on your darkest days, you can do this. Even on our darkest days, church, we can do this. And when we can't, and I have been there, when we can't even lift our hands, others who love us will open their hands to God on our behalf. The good news is only good if it's good news for people who have nothing to offer. You hear me? The good news is only good if it's good news for people who have nothing to offer. The new humanity that God is creating through Christ is the people of the empty hands. And this idea made the religious leaders of Jesus' day so mad because they had adhered their whole lives to the same rule that we should follow if we are visiting a home with a new baby. Come with your hands full or don't come at all. This was the religion of the day that Jesus walked into and Jesus said to broken people, just come to me with empty hands. Now, why would he say that? Why would Jesus say that? We're going to skip down to verse 14, verses 14 and 15 in Ephesians chapter 2, and Paul's going to tell us. Paul says this about Jesus. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Jesus is our peace because he set aside in his flesh the law. Jesus himself is now our peace, is now our way to God because there is no obeying of a law or a command or a rule or a regulation that will ever bring you or me or anyone in this whole wide world into peace with God. There's just not. And yet we 
continue to try to approach God through our own efforts because we still want to be in control. It gives us something to do to make us feel like we are part of the equation, right? If, if you have to look at these two equations, faith equals trying harder versus faith equals empty hands before God, nine times out of 10, we go for the first one. We just do. <laughs> this is why grace is such a scandal. Paul calls it a scandal. It's such an impossible thing for us to believe. And in fact, most of us don't really believe all the way in the grace of God. We just don't. It was Martin Luther, the great reformer of the faith, right? This was, this was his topic. This is the reason that, that he split from the ancient Roman Catholic Church. He said this, he said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. It is a living, daring confidence that God has done it all. And so my question to you this morning is, do you have faith in grace? Do you believe that you can come to God with empty hands and nothing else? That's all I got. you and God, your hands empty and held up. Do you believe that God will accept you and love you and delight in you and welcome you? Do you have faith in grace? See, this question lies at the heart of our faith. It really does. Because we will always, 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 always be tempted to try to gather up some of our own self-created goodness and then offer that to God instead of trusting without a net that grace will always catch us. When I had COVID in January, I was sick and I couldn't produce anything. I wasn't productive. I wasn't proficient at any of my tasks. And I started to doubt God's love for me. True story. Happens every time I can't, you know, hustle and bustle around and try to prove I'm worth something. I mean, how could God love me? I'm just sitting on the couch with bad breath. <laughs> true story. See, God again kindly revealed to me <laughs> that I still believe that it is my productivity, my proficiency, my performance that causes him to love me and to save me and to provide me with grace. And this is so, so dangerous. I almost believe it's more dangerous than when I sin because when I start to trust in myself, my own hard work, grace just slips out the door. Paul says, Jesus set aside in his flesh. He abolished all the religious things that you and I try to trust in to make ourselves right with God. No. <laughs> now, in this new creation, this new humanity, the church, we are called by Jesus to approach God through faith in Christ alone empty hands up, held up in the belief that God will fill them. 
And so what does it look like to live with empty hands before God, right? That's a nice image, Alice. But what does it look like when I walk out this door? It might look like letting go of any belief in your own goodness. Letting go any effort to make yourself worthy of God's love. It's almost kind of laughable. (laughs) Let go of the idea that doing good is what makes God love you. Let go and just trust fall into grace. It is the only thing that is enough. You see, and when we finally let go, stop gripping tightly to all the things we think we can offer God. When we finally let go, God will place in our hands, I believe, those good works he has prepared for us to do. It's right there in Ephesians 2. And and we do them not out of a need to make him like us, but out of gratitude for the undeserved grace that he has lavished us with, the grace that saves. Grace is what forms God's new humanity. So may you, my friends here in this room, my friends at home, may you let go today, or at least take one finger off of it, (laughs) whatever it is you are gripping onto and trying to offer to God. May you cease all your religious striving. May you finally realize that trying harder is not the way to peace with God, but letting go. And may you believe that faith is simply lifting your empty hands to the God who has made you spiritually alive with Christ, who has seated you next to his boy so that he can show off his grace for all eternity. May you today decide that Jesus is enough because that, that is what faith is. Let's pray and let's sing our hearts out to the God who did all the heavy lifting. Jesus, forgive us for not trusting, believing, having faith in your grace. Forgive us for hanging on to all the old ways, the ways that people have tried to make themselves right with you before you showed up in Christ and created an entirely new way, the way of empty hands, the way of trusting in your grace, the way of believing that Jesus is our peace. For he abolished in his flesh the law, setting aside the rules and regulations we still think can make us right with you. God, teach us today what it would look like to trust fall into your grace and to know that we will always be caught. Amen.